The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect those of the owner, staff, or management of this radio station. Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended Principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. So what role does fear play in your life? Well, I could name a few fears right now that kind of taunt me at times. Well, hold those fears, and we can talk about them a little bit later. Okay, but before we get too far in our show, we want to remind everyone that you are listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we like to rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. Also, don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Well, our first guest today is Deborah Cody, and she is the author of Fear, Faith, and a Fistful of Chocolate. She addresses the heart need of women worn down by everyday fears with her unique wit, wisdom, and humor. But she loves to draw strength from the three G's, and I love I love these three G's, God, Godiva, and girlfriends. Or Godiva, the <laughs> Godiva chocolate. <laughs> Deborah Cody is an occupational therapist, and she's also involved in the children's ministry at her church and is an avid tennis player. So welcome, Deborah. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Welcome to Diva Godiva today. <laughs> <laughs> or go Diva. That's the, way, that's the way it should be. Well, Deborah, our question today is what role does fear play in your life? And we knew you've done tons of research on this topic, and you just recently addressed it in your book, Fear, Faith, and a Fistful of Chocolate. So we got to ask you the question, what role does fear play in your life? Well, I think I'm probably the standard red-blooded American gal in that Fear and worry are pretty much 80%, 90% of my life. Uh, I, I stand to say fear is a, it's a learned habit, and worrying is something that it, since it's learned, we can unlearn it. And that was kind of what my, mo- my method was and my motivation for writing this book. And I wanted to find out what the fears were that women really are dealing with. Uh, and so I did a survey of 500 women between the ages of 18 and 80, and I found out what their top 10 fears were, and I found it rather surprising. Would you like me to share them with you? You would love it. Well, the top 10 were, um, you know, there were tons and tons of them that were written in by these women that were gracious enough to take my fear survey, but uh, 10 kind of stood out above the rest. And the number one fear stood out so head and shoulders above even the number two and all the rest. It was in a category all its own. And I think once you hear what it is, you'll agree that, yes, I think all of us women deal with this one, even though we may not have pinpointed it and aren't really aware of it. But the number one fear that women struggle with on a daily basis is the loss of a loved one, which would include the spouse, 
parent or child. And that wasn't necessarily the death. I know both of you ladies have dealt with that in your lives. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily the death of that loved one, but the separation or the, the, um, the relationship that is severed is what we are more in fear of than the actual lost loss of them. And uh, like the prodigal child. Mm. Or so is, the, is it more of like abandonment or betrayal then? Well, there are actually differences in those. Yes, I think they're all really tied in together. But we had actually differences. Uh, different people wrote in abandonment and betrayal as different fears. So I think this uh, we had to kind of lump up the, together the spouse, the child, and the, um, the uh, parent because we had so many of those, we kind of had to put them together. But I do believe, yes, those are all tied in together. Um, the number two fear was the fear of debilitating disease or terminal illness. The number three fear was fear of failure, which that one was particularly heavy in the younger age categories. I had divided the women up into different age groups, and, and that would make sense because those would be the young moms and the people just starting out in their uh, careers. And, you know, us young moms were always afraid we're going to be raising some kind of crazy children turn out to be mass murderers or something. Um, and, you know, that made sense. The fear of failure was a little more strong in the younger age group. And then we had a tie with the number four and the number five fears. Uh, and those were a little bit heavier in the older age groups. The number four was old age and the changes related to aging. And then number five was the unknowns, the what ifs. And those are the ones that I attend. That's my big one. That would have been number one probably on my list. Uh, and then we had number six was loneliness. Number seven was the fear of depending on others. Number eight was rejection. Number nine was specific critters. And, again, we had so many written in. We had to lump them together into just critters. But people would say specific things like snakes or roaches or rats, you know, pick your choice. And then number 10 was being Okay, I, I have to stop you there, Deborah, because um, our, our sound engineer said centipedes and millipedes is his biggest fear. <laughs> legs. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. I, you know, it's funny. A lot of people are fearful of snakes, but I guess I was raised in a swamp and I don't mind snakes very much. I, I, believe it or not, I used to wear them, wear, wear them in my pockets, you know, when I was a kid and carry them around with me. And we have this huge snake that likes to hang out. Uh, in fact, my husband just saw him yesterday. He hangs out on our fence. He comes out and suns himself about 10 o'clock every morning. And we've named him. He's Servius, you know, a Servius <laughs> snake. And uh, and we go out and visit Servius. And my friends think I'm out of my ever-loving mind, you know. <laughs> well, it, that is interesting because um, I, you know, I grew up where we went camping all the time. And there were quite a few rattlesnakes in Arizona, especially where we used to camp. And you would be out fishing. And it, there, a snake would just slither right in between my brother and I. And you just kind of look at each other and go, huh, I guess, ooh, I guess ooh. he was thirsty. <laughs> My husband, we just recently moved and we've seen a couple of rattlesnakes and he has that, I can't believe we just saw a rattlesnake. And I just don't think, you know, for the most part, they run, they're afraid of you. It's not like they're attacking you. So it is, it is funny what, what fears we have and what you're accustomed to. Like you said, if you grew up with them. So true. I have a, 
a story in my book that would uh, really drive that point home. It's about my friend Eddie, who was raised up in inner city Newark, and um, she lived up north her whole life until recently at age 47. She moved down to Florida, and uh, I live in central Florida, and she moved into my neighborhood and was so terrified of all the lizards. We have tons of scrub lizards all around here. And she just had never been around them before. And she she isolated herself in her house. She couldn't even leave. She was so terrified of these lizards. And I tried to show her, you know, if you're a native Floridian, you, you just have to learn to live with them because they're not going anywhere. And, you know, I said, look, you can grab them and their tail comes off in your hand and it's so cool. And she's like, ah! <laughs> she just wasn't seeing it at all. But some people are, are debilitated by fears of things like lizards and spiders and snakes. And, you know, And I, in the book I try to share some tools of how to try to deal with these types of fears. Oh, I, I didn't tell you number 10. Let me go back. The number 10 fear is being judged unfairly. Ah. Uh. Okay, and I have to ask you to go back because after you said loneliness, what was between loneliness and rejection? Dependency on others. Mm, okay. okay. And a lot of that, I think, with the, see, a lot of them are just a shade off of each other. That would be tied in with um, aging and the you know the problems that come when we have to depend on others with because of the aging and the debilitating disease or terminal illness. Hmm. Okay. Um, okay. You know, it's interesting, this list, because it depends on who you talk to a lot of, because we, people have different fears, but it is interesting because as you were, as you were reading the list, you know, some of them really hit a nerve where you're going, Oh yeah. And and it is a kind of a season. Like you said, the fear of failure, you saw that more uh, among the younger age. Yeah. And it, it's, it is interesting as we age, because like the number two, the fear of um, deb- debilitating disease, I, you know, I find that as I'm maturing, not aging, maturing, <laughs> that becomes more of a concern than it was 25 years ago mm-hmm. because it, it's more of a real possibility. So it is interesting how the fears can even change in your life and embracing them. But you talk about um, overcoming and there's tips to do it because they, those fears are real. And what, you know, like somebody that might be... Um, afraid of the millipedes and centipedes and the snakes <laughs> and somebody that's, you know, there are all are real fears. And so how do you, is there a cookie cutter approach to getting rid of fear? No, I wish there were. Wouldn't that just make everything so much easier? But, you know, there's not. And um, I talk about a lot of different types of tools that we can use in, in the book. And I'll just share a couple with you here for the sake of time. I know we can't go into very many. But uh, these are just some simple ones that really have worked in my life, and, and I've been studying this subject for a while now because <laughs> yes. it's something that had controlled my life uh, to a point. But um, And I tell a couple of my own stories in the books as well. But a couple of tools that really are helpful, one is to postpone worry and to designate yourself a worry time. I call it a DWT, designated worry time, a 15-minute segment of your day when that is when you are going to do your worrying. And all the rest of the day when nagging thoughts try to warm their way into your brain and make you worry, you jot them down in your pad. You keep your little pad with you. You make sure you keep a record of them. And then when you have your DWT, you pull out that pad, you look at those, and you divide them into two piles. 
One pile are things that over which the outcome you cannot control. That is the pile that you have to turn over to the Lord. You have to lay them at his feet and depend on your trust that he will take care of them. And he is looking at you, at your life, at all the details, and he is definitely actively working. And then the second pile are the things that you are potentially solvable, things that you might be able to do something about. And those are the ones that you have to devote your energies to and your time to because it's fruitless to try to worry about those other things, the things you have no control over. So well, these are Deborah, the things. Deborah, we're going to have to take a quick break here and interrupt sure. your tips. We're going to come back. We're going to take a really quick break. Linda Grayson said there is nothing better than a friend unless it is a friend with chocolate. We're going to be right back with that thought, and I might go grab some chocolate. <laughs> This is Girlfriend on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific on the Rockstar Radio Network. We'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. On the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio. A chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Welcome back to our show. We are talking with author of Fear, Faith, and a Fistful of Chocolate, Deborah Cody. And Deborah, you were right in the middle of sharing some great tips on how to uh, how to deal with the worry and um, just those seeds that are planted. And uh, we, we actually rudely interrupted you right at the part where you were talking about schedule your worry, which 
I love that. You just don't even think of scheduling your, your worry because you don't even realize you are worrying. No, that is so true. And one of the points I make in the book is worry is a habit. It's a learned habit. We've watched our mothers and our grandmothers do it for our whole lives, and that's all we know. That's the only way we know to deal with our worries and our fears is to chew them like gristle that will never, never digest. But there is a better way, and that's what I'm hoping to share through the book. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting, um, like you said, you know, like our grandmas, um, that I think it becomes so much a part of your habitual behavior that unless you do schedule it, you're not even aware that you're waking up in the morning, beginning that your day with worry. But if you do, if you're labeling it and figuring out, wait, that, that's a worry. I need to put it aside and I need to categorize it. Then you're so much aware of what you're doing throughout the day. Cause I, I have a girlfriend. She's definitely a worrier. And until she'll say, I don't even realize I'm worrying until I talk to you and you point it out. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. that is a huge worry. <laughs> It's true. I think we do that a lot. We don't realize because we're so used to it. It just comes to us like breathing that we're not aware that it is worrying um, and that we are being controlled by our fears, that our fears are dictating our behavior and our thoughts, even if they're benign fears that that really aren't terribly horrible ones, um, they they still do control us. Uh, I have a good example of that in my own life. it's something that just came to my attention about a year ago. I'm a hat girl, and I love hats. And I just never really thought about why I like hats. But, you know, I wear them all the time. My kids used to die a thousand deaths and say, please, take off that awful thing in front of my friends. But, you know, I would always wear them and never really thought about it until last year I posted on Facebook this little thing about, oh, my new hat is so cute. This is adorable. It's adorable. And this person who I hadn't, spoken to in decades was a friend of mine back in middle school and she she commented and she said Deb I just thought of something when you were talking about that hat she said are you Miss Mitchell's daughter the one that used to never comb her hair your mother told us about one of her daughters in class and she she made it sound so horrible that I've always carried a comb ever since then in my purse and I suddenly flashed back to this time that I hadn't thought about in years, and I'm sure I stuffed it because I didn't want to think about it. It was so painful. It was a time when my mother was teaching at the same middle school I was at. I was in sixth grade. She taught health class. And one day I was trying to sneak in the back of her classroom while she was teaching a group of seventh graders. Now, these were all kids older than me, and there were about half of them were boys. So it was like, ooh. And I was at the time the super big tomboy um, and I, you know, I didn't ever look in a mirror except to brush my teeth in the morning because I had too many better things to do. I was riding my bike and playing ball and, you know, just too many things to do. And I was sneaking in the back of her room, very tippy-toe quietly. She was up front. The class was facing her, so they couldn't see me, but she could. And I was going to stick something in her purse. I don't even remember what now. And I, I got all the way over to the desk, and all of a sudden I heard my mother's voice change. She was lecturing to the class. And all of a sudden I hear, and if you want to see the worst example of grooming in the history of the world, turn around and look at the back of the room. And all of a sudden, all these heads turned and looked at me, and I was like deer in headlights. Oh, my gosh. And I could just hear the giggling start at one end and just like a wave (laughs) roll across the room. And I was just mortified. And I flew out of there with my face flaming. 
And I hadn't even thought about that for years. And here I am, three decades later, sitting at my desk, reliving this thing with embarrassment just oozing out of my pores all these years later. And all of a sudden, I have the aha moment. That's why I wear hats. And even though that's not a terrible fear, it, it, it invoked in me its fear of humiliation yeah. that I realized I had, but I wasn't aware of it. And it, it is a benign type thing. It's not a terrible thing like your dad abandoning you as a child and you have that pervade your relationships as an adult or anything like that. But all those little things that have become fears in our past, they come and they invade our adulthood. And, you know, it's a good, it's a good idea for us to try to recognize them. And I try to help that in the book with I have five different categories of fears that I've uh, established. And I'll start with the letter S so they're easy to remember, like spurting fear and saturating fear and simmering fear and savory fear and sovereign fear and just ways that will help us identify our fears so we can then deal with them. Well, I have to I have to make a couple comments on your story. Um, first of all, um, I, Patty, on, on Radio Day, I must tell you the whole thing with hats when you're saying hats, because I don't wear hats. Um, and I, had a, I have a good friend that gave me a couple of hats, and I do actually like those two hats, but they're the only two hats I ever liked, because I just don't, you know, I don't feel like I do hats. But Patty looks great in hats, and she wears hats a lot, <laughs> but she does wear them because I can tell on radio day she'll wear a hat because she is, you know, worked out, and then she doesn't do any grooming with her hair. <laughs> and, she, and, and I always joke with her because she has a no shame team, but it goes back to that moment for you, your mom shamed you, and shame a lot of times is the... Um, origin of some of our fears and we don't realize it goes back to a moment so for you like you said it may be a different category of fear but it it was a fear nonetheless and you realize how a behavior years later is still um affected by a moment in time where we were shamed Mm -hmm. and we and it takes sometimes it takes years to go pinpoint where the origin of that fear was and going back to the origin of it and then go you know, oh, okay, so this is why I do that, and it takes you that moment. So that's it's very interesting when you start really looking at life or how something will trigger something or trigger a memory and go, oh, this is why I wear hats. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Pat, it's very Pat true. Never shamed, which she maybe should have been, but she was never shamed. <laughs> she just wears hats because she doesn't want to groom. So yeah. <laughs> Mine well, relates to laziness. <laughs> I can dig that, sister. That's why I wear mine a lot of times, too. It's, and I tell people it's just because I'm cool and kicky. It's not that I'm lazy and I didn't wash my hair for three days, you know. <laughs> <laughs> too much to do in a day. Showers are such a waste of time in my And shaving I, legs. Who decided we had to shave our legs? You know, exactly. for heaven's sake. <laughs> That used to be a fear of mine that I would like leave chunks of unshaved parts. So okay, I, you guys I just... are scaring me in this conversation. <laughs> uh, somebody needs to establish little hats we can wear over our legs that we miss the chunks, exactly, you know. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so with that, Deborah, what are some more some more tips for us in dealing with our fear? And I love that even finding where it originated. Yes, yes. Um, One other quick one about the origination idea is I have a a story in the book about a friend of mine named Philip who was always fearful of failure. He just has spent his whole adult life as a perfectionist because he's so fearful that he will fail and not be perfect. And I asked him, 
why is that, do you think? And he spent about a week or two thinking about that and praying about it, and he got back to me and said, you know, I think it's because my dad left when I was two, and I, I, the only time I saw him the rest of my life growing up was when I was about 12 at a funeral, family funeral. And I knew it had to be him because I knew his pictures. And he was coming in the door, and he took one look at me inside, and he turned around and left. Mm-hmm. And he said, talk about failure. And he said, I've spent the rest of my life trying to make up for that by being perfect, that if I am perfect, people will respect me, and they will like me, and they will even love me because I am perfect. And so you're right. I think it's important to try to figure out why we do and we behave and we act and we think the way that we do. Um, Okay, back to the tips. A couple of real um, quick ones. Uh, One is to morph worry into prayer because Fretting is not productive, but prayer is. Prayer is the nerve that innervates the muscles in the hand of God. So back to that pad when you've kept all your worries on them and you've divided them into your two piles, then you take those and you turn them into your prayer list. And you take it with you everywhere you go. If you're stuck at a red light or you're in bad traffic, that's when I pull my prayer. I keep them one in my car and one in my purse. And I pull out my little prayer journal out and I pray and I look at God's track record. And I know that if he's done it before, he'll do it again with those everyday miracles that he does in our lives to show that we are special to him. And that way we develop what I call um, miracle memory, like muscle memory, where if you practice something over and over and over again, your muscles just know to default to that, and that gymnast can hit that back tuck on that four-inch balance beam because she's done it over and over again, and her muscles know what to do. Well, it's the same thing with faith. If we can develop our miracle memory, then we know God's done it before. He'll do it again, and we default to faith automatically instead of fear when we're facing something that scares the patoobies out of us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, now, um, Deborah, we only have less than two minutes. So let's let's go into this. As God, like Patty said, you know, earlier, you know, it's a good show when it goes by really fast and all the <laughs> tips and the stories. And but it but it's really helpful going back to the thing to to know the origin of of the fear and to categorize it and to morph worry into prayer. So what what is a, a final tip you would like to leave with us on dealing with our fear and, and the role that faith even plays with our fear? Well, I would say. Excuse me? Oh, I would say that you need to remember that feeding faith starves fear. That's the thing. You have to actively feed your faith. That's the only way you're going to defeat your fear. You can't just sit by like a lump and wait for healing and wholeness to hit you. It won't. You have to take the first step and the second step. You have to be active. And remember this. This is just such a good little motto. It's not over against the battle of fear until you win don't mm-hmm. give up it's not over yet well and that's it and it goes back to perseverance and just like just repeating it over and over like you said before because sometimes we just want a quick fix on things on our fears we want them to just dissolve and, and go away and it a lot of times it's a process because it goes back to like a painful memory or a painful situation and you just don't delete those quickly Correct. You don't. It's a process for sure. So, okay. So one thing you want to leave with our, with our listeners that, um, and how can they find your book and, um, and how can they find you? Well, I'm at DebraCody.com, spelled a little funky. It's D-E-B-O-R-A-C-O-T-Y. There's no H on Debra. 
Cody's Like the Perfume. Um, and this book, Fear, Faith, and a Fistful of Chocolate, is the third in my Take on Life series. The first was Too Blessed to be Stressed, all about stress. And the second was More Beauty, Less Beast, all about well, self-control. And thank you for joining us, Deborah. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriend it on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend it Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90 plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, you'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. Joining us now is our guest, Lenny Roche of Hope Fiji and Homes of Hope. And Homes of Hope strengthens and restores families in the South Pacific. It operates residential homes for young single mothers and their children and offers training in parenting and marriage, uh, also with small businesses and Christian discipleship. So, Lenny, we're so excited to have you on the show, and, and especially knowing that you're here back in the United States, um, which is probably um, not as exciting and exotic for you to be back here in the U.S., but uh, um we just have to ask you that we were talking about what role does fear play in your life. So we're going to throw that question at you. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me this morning. It really is an honor. Um, fear, fear for me has been a r- real interesting thing. Um, the description that you just read of Homes of Hope is pretty much our generic description for um, for the general public, but uh, in essence, what we do is we work with girls who have been trafficked sexually or sexually exploited. And so we deal with um, 
the worst of the worst and just the ugliest that Satan can put out to destroy mm-hmm. women and children. And so what's interesting to me is I look back over my life. We've been in Fiji for 16 years now, and through all of that, and we've had some uh, pretty intense confrontations with um, the traffickers themselves and uh, government officials who uh, would like to kick us out of the country. And I mean, the list could go on, but those things have not caused me fear. But the things that I deal with and struggle with is more on a personal level, a fear of failing my family, my children, my husband. And I think the biggest fear that I've had to deal with is standing before the Father on Judgment Day and not hearing, "Good, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm-hmm. And that's just what I just, those are the words I, I long to hear. So it's mm-hmm. kind of a funny personal struggle for me. It's interesting that um, you said the fear of, just as a mom and and being there, I think a lot of, of women that are in at a high capacity level doing ministry, you do it can be all consuming, and um, you always hear people giving you that insight of finding boundaries and you need to make time for your children. And but on the other hand, it's like like you said, you're standing before. God, and you want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, all of them are God's children. And yes, your own children are the ones that, that you, you know, that God has gifted you with and you want to pour into. But um, I do think that that is a huge fear because we see a lot of children that the enemy does grab and we fear that that's going to happen to ours. Are, are your children grown now? Or are they still young? We have six kids, and um, our eldest is 32, and our youngest is 18. Mm-hmm. And uh, the reason that we're in the States is one of our kids graduating from college. And um, uh, what's, what's really been interesting with this struggle is part of my American thinking, which uh, the American church has has put such an emphasis on the nuclear family and our responsibility, which as it should be. But it's interesting when you go to another culture and you live in that other culture. And so we just happen to be in Fiji, which is a very warm culture. And in a warm culture, there really isn't a nuclear family. It's it's all extended family. And they all look out for one another and they all are in each other's lives and their noses are in everything and there's pros and cons to it but it's really changed a lot of my paradigms because um, my, my responsibility before God is definitely to my six children but it's also to the other people, the other women and children that God has brought into our lives mm-hmm. who have become our children. And that's been the interesting paradigm is, and that's been the wrestle in my mind for all these years is going between my, my American thinking and my responsibility driven personality of, you know, my nuclear family and my versus, gosh, what about these hundreds of women and children who are literally dying? Uh, where, where do you, Where's the balance? And uh, that's just been a constant struggle. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're so right on with it. I've been doing a lot of studies of different cultures globally, and, and I feel like God's really been expanding my worldview in, in recent years. And you're absolutely right. There's so much about even our Western um, American culture. And we are more individualistic 
um, and approach. And we are more nuclear about our, about our own family and our kids. We're more inclusive with our kids and making sure they're, you know, they're always safe and comfortable. And, and, uh, we don't like to be inconvenienced as Americans. And uh, these other cultures, you're right, they're more about the clan and the community and uh, the family units that are extended. And just really understanding that, that really the worldview of life, not just our American culture of life, it really is a paradigm shift on so many different levels. And then, like you said, uh, when you talked about the fear of standing before God someday and judgment, hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, that sometimes our fears can motivate us in a direction to um, kind of step up and step out and doing something, you know, significant for the Lord without taking it to the extreme of, you know, legalism, but, but really um, letting the fear in a healthy way motivate us. So there, there is that slant to fear too. I got to ask you, it's, it's like, as you're seeing, you know, and our, our guest Deborah earlier alluded to, the top 10 fears when she did a survey of women 18 through 80. Do you see some of those same fears with the women you work with in Fiji? Are their fears much different? Um, I didn't, I didn't hear what Deborah had said. Um, but what's interesting in, in Fiji and especially with the women and children that we work with is there is uh, an incredibly strong spiritual oppression over there and uh, spiritual warfare is is constant and ongoing and what's been interesting as an as a, again as an outsider and a westerner i i can come in with kind of fresh eyes uh, because i haven't grown up in that culture over there and i can see things that they're not able to see and many of the things that those women over there fear is um um I would say that they, they don't have a voice, that they have lost their voice, and some of that is cultural, and some of it is spiritual. And so they fear, many of them fear for their own lives. Many of them fear for uh, the control that's exerted on them by men in general. And uh, many of them fear, they have um, spiritual strongholds over there that's called a voo and it's like a spiritual authority over an entire province and the power of fear that satan holds over women uh, there's particular spirits that i won't go into now but um they're they're um, pretty intense and they manifest in a physical form and and satan has these women um just in such control because of fear and they don't know their authority in Christ. And so, you know, the things that we fear over here, maybe I'm putting on a few pounds or maybe um, I'll lose my job, but over there it's a fear of, of spiritual attack and physical attack. It's just interesting to see the differences. Okay. I do think that's really intriguing. So can you, can you share a little bit more about that? Like what kind of how does it manifest? Just a little bit more details of the cultural differences. Um, okay, but you just stop me if I go too far, okay? <laughs> um, they have So they have these different provinces throughout Fiji. There's 300 islands and 199 are inhabited. And so out of all these islands, it's divided into provinces, and each province for century has had this vu, which is a... Uh, demonic spiritual authority and the voos can take the form um, some of the voos are are dog 
gods, and so they worship dogs, or, or a shark god, or a snake god, or um, uh, one of the Vus is, is called Dalcina, and Dalcina is a male spirit that manifests into a physical male body, and he actually um, has uh, sexual relationships with women in a, in a physical realm. And, and we've seen it countless times on our campus. And it's such a, um, what, what he does is he, he weaves himself into their very personhood because he gives them a false sense of belonging and, um, he, he adores them, which is what they're craving in a patriarchal society. They don't get that from their father or anyone else. And so, so Satan through Delphina comes in and gives these women everything that they want. But then as Satan does, he comes around to steal, kill, and destroy. Yeah. And once they're that far that he's doing that, then they don't, they've lost their control and they're completely possessed by him, but they don't have the knowledge to use their sword in Christ to stand against him. So that's, that's, that's a light look at, at what happens over there, but it is an intense um, spirit of fear that resides over there that's within these women. Uh, it, it's a paralyzing fear. And, you know, it, that is fascinating because you do realize um, there are so many cultural differences and some of the strongholds because a couple of the um, the top fears that Deborah had shared earlier, you didn't even mention them. The fears of women here in America, The lo- number one was loss of a loved one. Number two was fear of debilitating disease. And number three was fear of failure. And you didn't name any of those, which is, is very fascinating how um, – how, how fear, it, it can be very much a cultural thing. I remember um, a, a couple of years ago, Patty and I went to uh, the Amazon jungle in Peru, and um, this village is right on the river. And when we were asking women what they fear, their number one fear was that this river would dry up because this river was their livelihood. It was, you know, their source of water for everything. And so their fear living was the fear of the of the river driving, drying up. And we had never thought of that and it was fascinating just to hear different people's different perception of fear and what's real to them and things that we don't even think about so um it's fascinating stuff we just have uh less than 30 seconds before we have to take a break lenny and just appreciate you sharing your heart and some of these uh differences really making us aware of the fears that um other people share and our own fears inside and where do they originate so we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we want to just keep diving into a little bit more of some of the cultural fears how to maybe uh, work through these fears and what is real and what is imagined. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Toginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriended. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these.
My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. What does success mean to you? Money? Power? Fame? Having everything money can buy? Does it mean having a job or career that you love? A great family life? Or simply to be happy? If you're still searching for answers, then join us each Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern for Primetime Success Radio, where Alan Skidmore and his special guests will discuss health, finances, relationships, being in business, and how you can have a life that is not only successful, but a life of meaning. Alan has been studying success principles for over 25 years through reading, attending seminars, interviewing successful people, and a daily lesson from the School of Hard Knocks. And now he wants to share that information with you. So join Alan Skidmore on Primetime Success Radio every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Rockstar Radio Network, as he takes you on a journey of finding the heart of your success. Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back. We are talking today with Lenny Roche. And um, Lenny, just some great concepts already talking about fear and what role it plays in our lives. Um, for each of us, it's different. Some of us, we're not even aware of that fear that we carry. And just like you, you mentioned with, um, where you are in Fiji, the, the women there as the enemy just manifest and, uh, then you don't have the tools and you, you, you're not even aware that you have authority over the enemy, um, which is just all so intriguing. And it goes back to, you know, in the beginning in Genesis where Satan planted the seed of doubt with, um, Eve and she's over here going, did God really say I can't eat from this tree in the garden and how that seed of doubt, uh, it, the worry and then it begins to unfold and it breeds, it just breeds into a huge fear that begins to haunt us. And anytime we have that fear haunting us, it stops us from really seeing, um, who we are in Christ and what we can do, uh, here as, as being ambassadors for, for Jesus and going out there and really, um, you know, tapping into Ephesians three twenty into his power and knowing that we can do all things through Christ. So, Going back to some of the fears that you see in women, how, how do you help them in overcoming some of these fears? Uh, the, the greatest thing that we can do is show these girls unconditional love and, and also, obviously, to teach them uh, what the Bible says about their authority. And um, one of the fears that I have not mentioned yet is this fear of rejection. And in a communal culture, uh, when these girls become pregnant out of wedlock, whether it's through their own 
promiscuity or through trafficking or whatever, they are completely severed from their family. And this is either Fijian or Indo-Fijian. And so to help these girls address that, um, we, that's where our program comes in, where we, um, we not only show them the unconditional love of Christ and show them according to the word where they are not only forgiven but they're clean and that there's a future and a hope for them, but we also give them tools so that they do not have to be dependent on the perpetrator or on their family who has uh, completely severed them from any relationship. So there's a lot involved to address with what would be a one-sentence fear. Um, it's just interesting how fear can be so intertwined with every fiber of our being and how Satan can use that. Um, but God is always stronger, and we've seen some incredible victories with these girls where they overcome their fear of the spiritual oppression and all their, their fear of this rejection and not belonging. Hmm. And that, that is powerful. When they, when they come to understand that because the freedom from fear and the freedom that Christ offers us. And in that process, we know because for many of them, they have those strongholds that are just, um, it really are holding, holding them back and then the abandonment. So I, I know it's very complex what you all do, but how do you start having them change their lens and their paradigm? Because a lot of it, I'm sure it's a cultural, they're having to change, uh, you know, their culture, but also their, their view of God or, or, you know, how, I don't know what religion they, they practice, but how do you, in a, in a simple way, which I know is very complicated, how do you start them on that process of seeing beyond that fear and that rejection that there is hope? Um, a lot of the girls that we get and that we deal with are Hindu and Muslim. And so they don't even have that connection of Jesus Christ. But the incredible thing about Christ that just makes doing this work just beyond rewarding is just that once, you know, the Word is just everlasting, and the Word is the thing that penetrates and provides fruit and brings light. And so what we do is we have a whole counseling program, but it is completely Word-centered. And uh, we bring these girls through the counseling program regardless of their faith, and all of them, because of the entrance of the word, that light bulb turns on that they have value and that um, that they are clean and pure and that they are forgiven and that there is that future and a hope. And once that light bulb goes on and that, that seed of the word is planted in their soul and in their heart, it is just... It is just miraculous, really, to watch it bloom and produce fruit in their lives. And so as they keep coming back to counseling and as they keep going through the other programs on the Homes of Hope campus, then that word has continued to be built upon and the foundation gets stronger and stronger. Hmm. Explain to us a little bit about this Homes of Hope campus and what you, what you guys have, have created and what you provide for these women. Homes of Hope is a, a residential campus in Fiji. It, we have 40 acres of land, and um, uh, the girls come to live with us for up to three years. And these girls are sent to us by referral. Off, quite a few come through the Fiji Police Human Trafficking Department and uh, various other ways. And with us three years, and for those three years, um, I've already mentioned the counseling that they go through, but we also do life skill training 
and job cycle training. And a lot of the girls, the youngest girl that we had was 12 years old. So we're, we're not only trying to equip women and help them get past their sexual trauma, but we're also being parents to little girls that have little girls. <laughs> and so the life skill training um, provides everything from some of our girls. We've had to teach them how to bathe themselves, yet alone how to bathe their child and uh, how to wash diapers and how to do CPR and first aid to how to hold a bank account to basic be- uh, Bible doctrine. So it's pretty comprehensive, and we can we do a lot within three years, but it's a pretty rigorous program. And when the girls graduate, then uh, we help them to become independent through our reintegration program, where we follow them up for a couple years after they leave the campus, and uh, we ensure our biggest concern is for their children, that they can walk free of the cycles that these mothers have been caught in. And so we follow these girls up to make sure that the kids are in school and that they're being adequately fed and cared for. Well, speaking of fear then, do you have fear of like the outside resources? Do they not want you to be there or are you not a threat to them with um, sharing Jesus? Um, we, we are a threat and the color of our skin uh, labels us as a forever threat. Um, so Jesus is just one more component to being white in a foreign culture. But there really is no fear with us anyway attached to that because um, we know we know there's we're really rock solid that God has called us there and God has called the work of Homes of Hope. So it's really his problem, I guess. <laughs> you know, and that is such a great way to look at it. If we really believe that God is who he says he is, then if we, if we all just said, you know what, that's God's problem. Even with our kids, like when we, we started uh, talking earlier, the, the fear of um, being a good mom and parenting, if we go, you know what, God loves our children more than we could ever love them, so that's his problem. <laughs> it, it would be so beneficial in the way we do life. And along those lines, one of the things that I have really learned through this whole issue of feeling guilty as a mom is it's turned me in, uh, it's turned me away from being a control freak where I can control my family to an intercessor. And I, especially living overseas, I can't be as involved with my who live stateside. And so I, I really have become an intercessor and it has just increased my trust that because I can't do it, God has to. And that's a great place to be. That is a great place to be. Now, so have your children lived in the U.S. even when they were younger? Were they like in boarding schools or they've been there in Fiji with you? They were all in Fiji with us. And uh, the eldest, uh, who's 32 now, she was 15 when we first moved over. And reverse culture shock and being a third culture kid is really a challenge. <laughs> and uh, only by the grace of God, and um, my children are my heroes. They just have done so well. But the grace of God has been very evident in their lives, and uh, he's been very faithful to our children. Wow. So you, you definitely, for the most part, raised six kids over in Fiji, and they've had to come over here to... Um... U.S. culture, that that has to be a definite culture shock for them. It's been very much a culture shock. And, um, they, you know, the, I think one of the hardest things for our kids to overcome coming back 
is that they went from a warm, cultured society in Fiji uh, to a very cold culture here in the States where people people are busy with their own things. And our kids, uh, it was very lonely and very difficult transition for them. You know, just uh, first of all, we must say we just admire you for stepping out of your comfort zone, being, being willing to change your culture and step into a new culture. And you have really challenged us, and I know a lot of our listeners, to just really trust and rely on God. And you've had to rely on God in ways a lot of us never have had to and never will. And talking about that whole fear is allowing God to provide and and help you overcome some of those fears. And the fears are different, some of those ones that you've been dealing with over there. So, again, we just want to thank you for joining our show. And we have, like, 30 seconds left. How do people learn more about Homes for Hope? Uh, they can go to our website. It's www.hopefiji.org, and this is Homes of Hope Fiji. And uh, we we encourage people and individuals to come over and volunteer in teams. Uh, it's really a great thing for our girls. Well, again, thank you, Lenny Roche, for, for joining us today. And uh, go out, maybe grab some chocolate and, uh, and deal with some fears and, and just let God work in your lives. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself.